0: You are now listening to the High Def Performance Podcast, hosted by Mitch Harb and Zach Smith. All right, we've got Dr. Anthony Yee on the podcast today. He is a foot and ankle surgery specialist. And you've got an impressive resume when you read through. I'm like, man, you've basically checked off all of the coolest schools to go to, uh, the USC undergraduate school the keck medical school at usc uh university of washington trained ortho residency and then to top that all off as if that wasn't impressive enough you did the fellowship at the harvard brigham and women's hospital um which is funny because like every time i pull up a protocol it seems to come from uh brigham and women's hospital um so i know they're doing a lot of great things in surgery and in rehab um so welcome to the podcast
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here, and um, very flattering. Um, but you know, I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to train with some awesome mentors at all those places. Uh, certainly,
0: yeah. And and so to jump right into it, you know, we had kind of messaged a little bit earlier today, and and I wanted to get your thoughts because there's a lot of uh, injuries that are happening currently, and we're going to drop this podcast asap because. Um, I want to talk about some, some injuries that, you know, some other people may have had that are listening to the podcast or, or maybe going through right now. And, you know, we kind of mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Um, Did you see the video of the mechanism of that injury?
1: Yeah. Um, So um, a a pretty violent, you know, twisting injury uh, to the ankle uh, with a lot of weight coming down on it. Um, So that's, fairly classic for, um, what is being reported as, you know, a high ankle sprain. Um, so what is a high ankle sprain? Um, you know, in distinction to the classic ankle sprain that we talk about or a lower ankle sprain, um, the mechanism and and the structures that are injured is, is the biggest distinction. Um, so with the more common, uh, Ankle sprain, we often have people turning or twisting their ankle inwards, or maybe misstepping off of a step, um, or maybe they're on turf running around and they twist their ankle. And this is a little bit more of a lower in energy injury in general um, and with injuries to a different set of ligaments than what we generally talk about when it comes to a higher ankle, ankle sprain. Um, higher ankle sprains are generally a little more um, higher energy. Uh, with the ankle in an up position and a violent twisting inward or outward. And what happens is that there's a series of ligaments. There's three main ones uh, that make up um, what we call the syndesmosis, or basically a series of really strong ligaments that connect the tibia or the shin bone to the side, skinny bone or the fibula. And, um, you can have an injury to any one or more of these in combination that can end up, you know, with a with a high ankle sprain. And when you have a sprain, as you know, it, it's generally referring to when one or more of those ligaments is is at least partially torn, if not, you know, fully torn.
0: And I was surprised by by the the level of his injury and how bad that looked, and then his ability to continue to play um and then even play in the next game to walk me through a little bit from like your perspective when you're doing an evaluation of that ankle and trying to figure out you know is he going to be able to play you know and i know there's some surgical techniques that might come involved walk walk me through kind of the different levels of of injury and then kind of the indications for treatment and and how you kind of see that
1: yeah uh so in general you know we you know, in the medical field, like to try to <clears throat> have a grading system for how severe uh, injuries are. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't love putting things into categories that is often not so clear, but um, on one end of the spectrum, the most mildest you know form of injury, you can think of the ligaments being stretched, but not necessarily torn. And then on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you can think of the ligament being completely torn. Uh, and then there's everything in between so we generally categorize them as one grade one grade two grade three so in that in that manner um in terms of things that i i like to establish when in seeing a patient with this type of injury one getting the story um you know if there's film of it like if you're a high profile player like patrick Mahomes, you're gonna have some videotape of that laying eyes on that to see exactly what happened, what the mechanism of injury was, Um, and then directly just getting your hands on the patient, uh, taking the feel, seeing where it's painful, doing specific maneuvers. For example, there's something called a syndesmosis squeeze test. So literally trying to, in in your hand, squeezing the tibia and fibula to see if that elicits pain overlying the syndesmosis. Um, There are, are other different a special test that you can perform uh, during the physical examination as well. And then the other, on the other um, uh, aspect of examining the patient in, includes imaging. Um, I think the, an important first step is getting an X-ray. Uh, an X-ray is not always gonna give us all the information that we want, but it does a really good job at determining if there's an associated injury like a fracture, for example. It also helps you to determine if the relationship or the position of the tibia or shin bone and the fibula are correct. In some cases, I've seen it very clear that there's there's a syndesmosis injury that's very clearly unstable just looking at the x-ray because they're not in the correct position. But most of the time, the x-rays are probably not gonna give you necessarily all the information you need. Um, and so the step up from there would be getting an MRI and as you know that gives us a really good look at uh, the soft tissues including the ligaments and you can see exactly what's injured and, and what's not.
0: Yeah no that makes sense and and I think that's probably the advantage of these NFL players is you know they've got x-ray usually on site at the uh, at the stadium so they can at least get an idea that we're not going to put this guy back in the game with a fracture in his leg and then you know obviously they're probably just taping the heck out of that thing to make sure that at least his ankle isn't rotating at the at the lower end as much so that you know maybe it won't put as much stress on on that but but really um that it's it's funny because like high ankle and low ankle the general public seems to not probably understand the difference because it is it is kind of confusing and so the 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 low ankle you know is kind of as you said r- right where the foot connects to the ankle and then this is up in a little bit shin, up into the shin how high up into the shin are people typically feeling the pain of that of that high ankle sprain
1: generally um it it's usually sort of at the midpoint of the leg and down towards the ankle that seems to be the most painful um, however, there there can be different variations of this injury. For example, um, there can be a fracture up top um, of, at the fibula, just below where the where the knee joint is, um, and then mm-hmm. the that membrane or ligament that hold, it holds the tibia and the fibula together can tear all the way down towards the ankle. Um, and, and, um, I actually had that injury in high school. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, so there are different variations. Um, so you can have an high ankle sprain in isolation. You can have d- a whole host of different kinds of fractures, uh, accompanying it as well. Um, but in general, the pain seems to be mostly concentrated sort of right in between those two bones, sort of halfway and, and down towards the ankle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, once, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes, he's he was able to play. He didn't to me didn't look as mobile as he normally is, didn't have as good uh of plant. Honestly, frankly, I was pretty surprised they didn't have an MCL injury on top of and maybe he does and and they're just like the the high ankle sprain is worse, maybe he got a low grade, but the way he got landed on was definitely also could have been a uh MCL uh mechanism in my eyes too. Um, but he obviously didn't need surgery, but there are some surgeries to repair these correct. Like the, the tight rope and, and those, can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you make it also just to piggyback off of what you just said. I think that's a great point. You know, um, it's easy to focus in on one part of the body when there's an injury, but always really good idea to maintain vigilance and make sure that there's uh, not an injury elsewhere, especially when there's a really big injury that somewhere that can distract from pain elsewhere. So that's a really good point, uh, and certainly an MCL injury, you know, could have happened with that sort of mechanism, as you pointed out. Um, in terms of surgery, um, so, and you know, going back to you know the the spectrum of uh, or severity of injury that we're talking about, and in some cases, it's very obvious that the syndesmosis or high ankle sprain is so severe that it's is very unstable and that someone's just not gonna be able to carry on doing what they're doing without a surgery. Um, and then the tough part of our job is you know, determining what to do when when it's sort of a tweener um, and getting the right tests and doing the right exam to, to make sure we're making the best decision um, uh, for the patient and our athletes. Um, and in terms of when, uh, patient or athlete might benefit from surgery. Um, you're right, there's there's a lot, of, there's a, a couple of different options. Um, so, if there is um, a syndesmosis injury that's unstable, meaning that the position of the tibia and fibula is incorrect and the motion between them is abnormal, um, it's generally in the best interest to go ahead and repair that. Uh, this is, I'll admit, a fairly controversial subject Uh, within orthopedics. You can probably get a lot of different answers from a lot of different people. Um, But uh, traditionally, uh, we have generally fixed the syndesmosis syndesmosis with screws. So um, a screw that starts in the fibula and then goes into the tibia and holds the two bones in the correct position. And again highly controversial in terms of how many screws that you're putting in what size screws you're putting in um, uh, and and, uh, how many cortices or how many edges of bone that you're crossing across with those screws as well and then the other controversial you know topic being um, do the screws have to come out in the future Um, some people are on the in the camp that all these screws should come out uh, after the syndesmosis is healed because there should be some level of physiologic or normal motion between the two bones that happens when we move our ankles. But as you imagine with the screws, it's locked up and there's not motion in between. Mm-hmm. Um, other people um, are in the camp of uh, a sort of a wait and see uh, if there's any issues with motion or pain, uh, waiting till those times uh, situations to, to remove screws. Um, <clears throat> the other approach is to use um, what we call suture button fixation. Uh, so this uh, sort of a best of both worlds in that it offers nice fixation between the two bones, uh, but also allows for some motion to mimic, and what we normally have. So if you imagine two strong metal buttons and a really strong suture in between, holding those two bones in the correct position, but at the same time allowing for a very small amount of motion that's that's normal between the two, the tibia and the fibula. I generally try to use this uh, method um, unless there's an obvious reason not to use it Um, because I fall a little bit more into that camp of thought uh, that argues for, you know, maintaining what our bodies normally do. So on a physiologic basis, there should be some motion. So this suture button device allows for that. And it also does a nice job of um, giving stability to the ankle joint while it's Excuse me. The syndesmosis joint while it's while it's healing. Um, yeah. Some situations where um, I might lean uh, lean towards a screw would be if there's an associated fracture of the fibula that's heavily comminuted, meaning it's into a lot of different small pieces, um, and I need more fixation for fixation of that as well. Or if the bone quality is just really not where we need it to be. Uh, those are some examples of situations where I might use a screw, but um, you know I, I lean towards more of that suture button uh, fixation that that you're referring to, just because it allows yeah. for some physiologic motion.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because in the PT world, what we think about is, you know, if you take if you take um, movement from one area, it's going to pass that force to somewhere else, and so. Because it's going to limit, you know, one thing it goes to somewhere else. So, so, that makes sense. And I've seen that. I've seen some patients with that. It seems like a pretty good result. So, um, yeah, I've been pretty happy happy with the patients I've seen that have had the tightrope done. So, um, kind of going off of the the sports injuries, um, another quarterback that was kind of in the news and and right now uh, one of the top prospects in the NBA, Chet Holmgren, Jimmy mm-hmm. Grabble. His injury was reported as a Liz Frank. And it's good timing because i saw you just you just did a post on instagram um with kind of the signs and symptoms of liz frank injury you know we hear it a lot i think a lot of people don't really well understand what it is and it's fairly common uh in sports at least um can you walk us through what the liz frank an- injury is and then kind of the the treatment for that
1: yeah absolutely so um, Liz Frank injuries um, are, as you pointed out, um, can be fairly common um, in certain populations, especially those that, who are putting a lot of stress on their feet. Um, and what it refers to is um, the Liz Frank um, ligament or or joint um so they're in the middle of the foot you have you know five metatarsal bones so just like your hand if you're flip it over sort of towards the middle of the long skinny bones those are called the metacarpals in your hand in the foot they're metatarsals and in between the second metatarsal and another bone called the medial cuneiform so is just right in the middle of the foot um, on the side towards your big toe there's a really big strong uh, ligament uh, called the Liz Frank ligament, and it has several components to it. So the Liz Frank injury um, can can be fairly diverse, and it it can refer to a lot of different variations of injuries, but basically what it is is a fracture and or a dislocation or ligament injury uh, in the middle of your foot. And you can imagine if someone's coming down with a lot of force with their toes pointed down towards the ground, um, there can be a lot of force that's transmitted right through the middle of your foot and can cause a fracture or a dislocation or both. Um, And classically, uh, again, it's when someone puts a lot of force down through their foot with their their toes pointed down, Um, there's often, what we call plantar ecchymosis or uh, fancy words for just saying bruising on the bottom of the foot. Um, This injury is unfortunately, it can unfortunately be missed uh, fairly easily. Um, uh, If you, if any, you know, patient or athlete that comes in with pain in this region, you should really have a high suspicion for it and really do a thorough workup, including x-rays and and even what we call weight bearing x ray So having the patient put as much weight down on the ground with that foot and even the other side, so you can have a comparison. So you can make measurements to, to really make sure you're not missing this injury. Um, and, and the reason we don't wanna miss it is that if it goes untreated, it can cause a lot of problems. Um, it, it can lead to pain, difficulty using that foot. And then down the line, um, problems with with arthritis settling in earlier than we'd hope for
0: no yeah that definitely makes sense and it's an it's been an interesting one to watch because like i mean the, the foot injuries in general like for for nfl nba seem to be the most detrimental a lot of guys get you know a a knee injury acl tear meniscus and you basically know they're going to come back We've seen so many people in sports that have been sidelined for long periods of time with, with like just nagging foot injuries. And it seems like that diagnosis and then treatment becomes so important. I mean, I can think back to a lot of past players like Darren McFadden, Ben Roethlisberger, Maurice Jones, Drew. Like there's a lot of big time athletes that have had this type of injury. Um, and so, you know, from your perspective on on like a, a, a fairly significant one. Are you going to repair this with the same, I know you can use suture button and maybe is there, is there that still like that kind of controversy between suture button and, and like putting screws for these ones as well?
1: Yeah. So there, there is a bit of controversy. I think the main two options uh, being uh, one would be open reduction, internal fixation, just a fancy way of saying that uh, we're going to operate on the foot set everything into the correct place and use a combination of either screws or plate and screws to hold everything in place while it heals. The second option. And then you're
0: removing those afterward.
1: Um, it, uh, sometimes, um, not not always having to be the case, but, um, again, some surgeons will, uh, lean towards removing those, um, at around the four to six months after initial surgery once things have healed mm-hmm. with the idea again of there, there is a small amount of motion going through those joints and if you put a plate across that joint and immobilize it um you're eliminating that um and then also uh in in young really high demand athletes uh, just not wanting to have that that plate or screw break over time because that can cause issues yeah. um and then, um, in terms of the other op- main option, um, oh, and then going back to answer your question with the suture button, that that is um, a option, an option, uh, but I'd say probably a a little less popular option, um, not as proven uh, in the literature, um, but th- it it can be used in, in certain situations. Um, so, i the idea being very similar, you know, using uh, the suture button fixation to hold the bones in the correct position and then letting it heal. Um, And then the second main option is um, arthrodesis or fusion. So um, the the Liz Frank injury generally spans across a joint. So um, the idea being providing stability by getting those two bones um to, to fuse together or bond together be one so that comes at the sacrifice of eliminating a joint um, however with the idea that it's it's rock solid once it fuses together um, there was a recent study a couple years ago um, a, a fairly well done study um, that suggested that the results suggested that in the case of a purely ligamentous um, Liz Frank injury, so no fracture on top of it. That patients might be doing better functionally uh, with a fusion as compared to uh, doing the open reduction internal fixation route. I I think it's it's hard to say that one is overwhelmingly better or very clearly better than the other. Uh, so in, in my practice, I generally try to factor in a couple of things. Um, one being, you know, the age and activity level of the patient, uh, the other factor being, um, again, these, these injuries can be highly variable, especially in terms of how much bony involvement are there. For example, if the joint is, is destroyed or broken into many small pieces, and it's not necessarily reconstructable, I may lean towards a fusion, for example, uh, because just fixing... A joint that's going to become arthritic uh, anyways uh, is, is probably going to leave the patient with some pain and stiffness either way so in that, in that situation i would likely lean towards an effusion uh, for example but um, like the case in my post um, that was a young uh, active uh, individual who uh, whose joint looked great on the ct scan uh, and it was mostly, um, a ligamentous, um, excuse me, there, there wasn't, uh, there was a fracture, but the, the joint was pretty well preserved. So, you know, I discussed the options with the patient and we ultimately decided to go down the route of, um, fixing it with plates and screws with taking them out after everything had healed.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And that seems like, like you said, it's, it's so dependent on, on what you've got. I was reading a, a paper earlier today before we jumped on where not a paper but like kind of a report and they are saying of the 28 nfl players that had this injury between 2000 and 2010 uh two never returned to sport the may- median return time to sport was 11.1 months but there were three players that returned in less than three months and that's kind of what i was thinking about with like jimmy garoppolo versus like chet holmgren it seems like he'll probably be out for the rest of the season jimmy garoppolo they said he was starting to practice this week. Potentially, if you, they would have been able to make the Super Bowl, he would have been available as a backup, but there would have been obviously certain risks. And I'm sure these risks are what you're talking about here, where it's like the area might not be fully healed. You're putting a lot of pressure on the fixation. And I'm not even sure if he had the surgery. Are you aware if he had it repaired or not, Jimmy Garoppolo?
1: I don't I believe he did not. I, I, I I'll be honest, I don't know. but um especially with the faster timeline like that, it was it was probably one that fell into more of the stable category, not requiring surgery, but uh, but still taking time to heal, like the timeline that you mentioned.
0: Yeah, no that that makes sense um i want to move on to uh to some minimally invasive ankle surgery stuff because this you know when i first talked to you on the phone we you know we kind of discussed some of this and it's an interesting topic because you know you you hear a lot of uh spine surgeons and they like to uh, advertise minimally invasive uh surgery and obviously if you if you're a, a consumer you know, and you hear, oh, do you want the really invasive surgery or the minimally invasive surgery? Most people are probably gonna opt for the uh, minimally invasive surgery. Um, So walk us through some of the minimally invasive surgeries that you do, and then it actually perfectly pairs into um, what one of my, what one of my PTs was asking about and asking if you did the PARS Achilles repair. And I believe that's one of your surgeries, is it not?
1: Yeah, Um, yes, I'm happy to talk about that. So minimally invasive surgery, it's actually, you know, one of my favorite parts of practice, um, something I'm personally very passionate about. Um, but as a concept, uh, it's, it's the goal of performing safe, effective surgery through incisions that are as small as possible with the goals of uh, less pain and, and getting the re- rehab process jump-started sooner uh, than with a more open technique um so uh, minimally invasive surgery the main um uh tools in the toolkit are um like for, for example arthroscopy uh which is using a small camera to put inside a joint um, mm-hmm. and, and using special instruments to perform surgery through small incisions rather than a larger incision with it a, with a, um, and then the another um, <clears throat> important tool is the minimally invasive burr. Um, so this is something that um, has been really fun to use in my practice, something I've really enjoyed using. But basically, if you imagine a small burr uh, on the order of a couple millimeters, and there's different shapes and sizes for what whatever application you're trying to use it for, but it spins at low RPM. Um, so it doesn't generate too much heat uh, but it still is powerful it has a lot of torque so you can actually still cut bone with it but if you were to run it and just put it on your skin it would not tear your skin it it doesn't even cut the hair like on your forearm if you put it on there um Mm -hmm. but if if you put it in the right application and in the right pressure um it's still powerful enough to to cut bone so um just as an example for example for a bunion correction, you know, most patients um, have heard horror stories about friends or personal stories of, you know, in the past of having a bunion corrected and, and the recovery process being pretty gruesome and, and bad. Um, but with with this uh, newer technique uh, with a minimally invasive bunion correction, I make um, a series of very small incisions, each only requiring a in one or two stitches. And I can use this burr uh, to perform what's called an osteotomy. So a controlled cut of the bone to change the shape of the bone and then use screws to to fix and hold it in place. Um, and it, it's been a game changer. you know, In terms of recovery, I, I let patients start walking on it the day after surgery in general with a special stiff shoe called a post-op shoe. Uh, and that's a huge acceleration in recovery compared to, you know, more traditional techniques where you're waiting six plus weeks um, to start putting weight on it. So, uh, and then to answer your question about um, Achilles um, repair. So, yeah, so I, I use a, a minimally invasive technique for that as well. So the incision that I use is probably on the order of around two, uh, to three inches long. So pretty small. Um, and and I use a special instrument that I can insert around the tendon and, and, and I can pass sutures through the tendon on both sides and repair it. Um, you know, traditionally many years ago, the way that we repaired Achilles tendon ruptures was to put a pretty big incision across the entire rupture find the rupture, clean it up and, and uh, repair it. And you know those big incisions definitely make um, you lose sleep at night because that area doesn't get great blood supply. And so wound healing complications and infections are a very real risk. Uh-huh. But with the newer techniques of being able to use special instrumentation to perform incisions through much smaller uh, Incise, excuse me. Perform surgery through much smaller incisions. Um, it, it, I think it's been it's sort of wonderful uh, in terms of the decrease in wound complication rates, uh, less infection, and um, and then getting and to that end, you know, getting rehab going.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I, I'm I've actually never seen anyone that's done yet done the pars uh, Achilles repair, but I'm looking at the pictures of it. And it's pretty incredible, like the the size of the of the uh, incision comparatively to, you know, I'm looking at your website, What what's different comparatively to. um like what I typically see where someone's got a full zipper going up the entire back of the Achilles. And I think from like a rehab perspective too, some of that incision impacts mobility and, and whatnot. So pretty cool to be able to, you know, go in there and get, get that done through just the, uh, and that is that what they call the PARS system? The one that you have?
1: Um, so the PARS system is, is through a company named Arthrex. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have an affiliation with them, but they, you know, make good products. And, um, but I, I actually use a different, um, variation, uh, it, that's not affiliated with any company. Actually, it's a, a technique that I learned, uh, in fellowship. Um, but, uh,
0: there's, there's, there's an instrument more, just like a brand name or something like that is what the, kind yeah, of exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. different,
1: and some different companies have different variations of it, but, um, basically I, I can. Uh, I get an instrument um, that's fairly commonly used uh, in the operating room, and 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 I've modified it. So I got a big spine rod bender, um, and I uh, this is a technique that some of my mentors taught me in
0: fellowship that I've continued to use. Oh wow, that's that's pretty cool. I, I love the like the ingenuity of of some of these. And I think you know what some people don't realize when they're going to surgery is like not. Every sur- surgery is the same. And then, you know, surgeons like yourself who have like these specialized skills and have created you know new tools to help them get more successful results. It's, it's pretty interesting. I've been reading about and, and I've seen a patient, a couple patients with this. Have you ever seen the um, the syndesmosis bunionectomy? Do you have any thoughts or any uh, any information on that? Yeah, people kind of um, bunionectomies with with the same kind of it's not like a button and suture, but it looks very similar.
1: Yeah, so you're exactly right. It's actually just a smaller version of the suture button fixation that you'd use for the syndesmosis injury. Um, And the idea is um, some of my mentors, again, in fellowship were uh, big proponents of this and um, put out a a pretty well done research study on it as well. but the idea behind it is that the center of the deformity, um, why not attack or try to correct the bunion through right where the center of the deformity is, um, and and that's done by changing the the position of the first metatarsal. So as you know, a, a bunion is uh, when the big toe starts to point towards the smaller toes, and then often. Uh, accompanying it the the first metatarsal bone can also start pointing the opposite way so the idea behind it is to put this uh, suture button um so one is going to be on the first metatarsal and the other's going to be on the second metatarsal and basically squeeze those together to bring that first metatarsal over to where it should be and that and that corrects the um the big toe as it swings over as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, I don't use that too much in my practice because I've had really good success with m- the, the minimally invasive technique that I described. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I really enjoy, you know, letting patients, you know, start the, the weight bearing and rehab process early on. Um, uh, so I, I haven't, um, found the need necessarily to do it through this technique but um but I did uh, use this technique um throughout my, my fellowship training uh, and I think it's um I, I think in certain patients is certainly a reasonable consideration but but um I haven't had to you know, uh, resort to using that technique too much in my own practice uh currently uh because I've uh, have found really good success with the minimally invasive technique
0: yeah i like that that you're able to weight bear people earlier because that's that's one of the things that people don't want after surgery is like do i have to be on one of those knee scooters or on crutches for like six or eight weeks and i know this one you're able to bear a little bit of weight but it is very limited because i think there's a concern for second metatarsal fracture that happens with this right with that with the other the yes other <clears throat>
1: so it's with the suture button fixation of the tight rope. Correction of the bunion. Um, there are cases of second metatarsal fractures and uh, second metatarsal stress fractures also. Um, and and one of the things uh, when we when I looked through some of the studies and talked to some of my mentors who uh, did the, did this technique a lot um, was uh, the, the technique is really important. Um, so. Um, in terms of so you do have to put a a wire across the first and second metatarsals uh, and then you drill over those wires and then you put the suture button across Um, and so the placement of that wire is very important um so um, that that can contribute to uh, stress fractures so the the technique is very important
0: yeah no i think that's that's a that's a great point to make. And, and, you know, for anyone listening, that's that is dealing with an ankle or foot injury. If you want to see Dr. Yi and you're local to the greater Seattle area, or even if you want to fly out here and see one of the top specialists in the country, uh, Dr. Yi practices at the orthopedic specialists of Seattle. Um, we'll kind of link up your, uh, website, anthonyyeemd.com. Um, you can also find them at the orthopedic, uh, specialist of Seattle website. Um, I've been really loving the content you've been posting. I've been, uh, been watching everything you post. I have the alerts up on your posts. So I'm seeing everything, uh, Anthony YMD on Instagram. Is there anyone anywhere else you want people to be able to find you, uh, if they are listening to this podcast and they're interested in getting, um, some, some info from you?
1: Uh, mainly my
0: website, you know, I,
1: I, I try to keep that pretty up to date. Um, and then if I have um, interesting cases and you know I'll be sure to continue to you know post those
0: um, awesome well we appreciate your time I will link up all of those places in the show notes here and then we'll get this up uh pretty fast so that people can hear about how the Super Bowl will be impacted by the Patrick Mahomes injury
1: awesome well thanks for having me it was awesome talking with you Zach yeah thanks
0: Dr.